I know you get this pretty frequently where they like to read every single paper. Yes, we do have people do that and it's, you know, it could be a display of power. Most often it's anxiety. But the most important thing to me is that a buyer walks out feeling comfortable with what they signed. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the North Carolina Real Estate Show. I'm Tiffany Weber. I'm a real estate attorney at Thomas & Weber in North Carolina with two offices, one in Mooresville and one in Huntersville. And today I am joined by my husband, Ryan Weber. Hello to people. Hello to people. And we are talking about the most common questions that our attorneys get in closings. Yeah, we are. I'm just excited that we're back in an office space and have yes. a podcast set up that is actually set up so we can do this quickly and sound good. So let's dive right into the most common questions I get in closing. And I'm curious, before I did real estate law, in closings, like what were the kinds of questions you had? So honestly, during a closing, when we had done our closings, I actually didn't have any questions because it was too overwhelming. Mm. Like I would just show up and sign the papers that they pointed to me, but I didn't know anything about what I was signing. Yeah. And Them the saying, offices we closed at, they did not explain anything They didn't explain to anything, but if they're like, hey, you're signing the deed of trust. I, I don't know what that even means. And I'm really glad that you said that because the, the point is, one, agents, if your clients have are like nervous about the process and they're like, I don't even know what to ask, these are the types of questions that are really great to ask at the closing table. And jumping in, I alluded to it already, is when is my first payment? And the lender is going to be providing something called a first payment letter. And it will show the first payment date and the amount and where the payment can be sent. When is the cutoff date that you skip the payment? Let's say, well, if you were closing right now, it's today's August 29th. So you wouldn't pay September 1. You would pay October 1. Obviously, if we had closed August 1st, we wouldn't pay September 1. We would pay October 1. So it's always the very next mm. month unless you're closing like on the first of the month. So if you close at the last, towards the end of the month, you kind of, yeah. you don't get that benefit. Exactly. We closed on our house that we live in now on January 27th. Mm. So we didn't pay February 1, but we paid March 1. So it didn't feel like we skipped yeah. the payment. It, well, there was one time we bought something. It must have been on the first or on second. The first of the month. Yeah. And man, it felt great. I was like, we we don't pay for this house. It's awesome. Yeah. So the well, remainder get, of whatever current month is, skip the following month and then is your payment. Yeah. The other thing I want to say about your first payment is uh, some lenders sell the loan. So, you know, you you might be asking, I want to set it up on auto pay. You're most likely going to be able to do that. Your lender will send you the information to do so. But if you don't receive any of that information before your first payment is due, follow the instructions on your first payment letter. You not getting a way to set up auto pay is not an excuse for missing the payment. So the first payment letter is really important. The amount, due date, and where you can send your money. Now, this next one, um, what is an escrow account and do I have to have it? We've talked plenty of times about what an escrow account is. At this point, you can probably define it. I mean, it's basically like taking your taxes and insurance, putting it in a, the money that would be paid for your taxes and insurance, putting it in an escrow account so it sits there so when those bills come it's paid and you don't physically have to come up with that money you've been paying it all year mm -hmm. yeah so it's like am take, i right yeah so i call it kind of like a forced savings account the lender is going to you're going to pay your total payment part of your payment 
is your taxes and insurance divided by 12. And the lender is going to take the portion for your taxes and insurance and put it aside in an account until your taxes and insurance are due. They will use your money to pay it. What would be due. the benefit of someone not doing escrow? Like, why well, wouldn't they? Well, one, you have to be able to qualify financially to get an escrow waiver. Um, so you have to be, you'd have to talk to a lender to get the nitty gritty. But generally speaking, you got to have cash reserves to be able to come up with those big payments at a moment's notice. If you buy your house cash, do you have to have escrow? No, no, there is no escrow account for cash. An escrow account is lender driven. Next question, how do I get rid of PMI? First, what is PMI? Private mortgage insurance. And that you have that on your property, one, based on certain loan types, but two, if you have less than 20% equity in the property. Loan to value. 20%. Loan to value. So if you buy a $100,000 house, which nobody can get anymore, um, you have to borrow less than $80,000. Then it's not included in your monthly payment. You won't have PMI. But if you put less down, you'll have PMI. Mm -hmm. And then over time, it will come off mm -hmm. once you reach your loan to value. Loan to value. Target loan to value. And it's usually, it's not 80, it's like 78%, mm -hmm. I feel like. So that's the automatic. You can ask for it to come off at 80, but it will automatically come off at like 78. And we did this. Depending think, on your lender, look at the loan docs. And I think we've said this before, but we did this. We did a renovation. So mm -hmm. we greatly improved the loan to value ratio on mm -hmm. our house. And so we were able to file a paper. <laughs> I don't know what it was called. but We did a request for removal of PMI. And, you know, we were like, cool, we'll save the money on the down payment. We'll pay the PMI for eight months, a year, and use that money towards the renovation. And then we'll petition for PMI to be removed. So they came out, did an appraisal. We had to show that we'd made significant improvements to the property. And then once the loan to value with the new appraisal, which we had to pay for the appraisal, was shown that we met the requirements, PMI came right off. It was not that complicated. No. But to get rid of it, it's a loan to value. Or if you have a certain loan type, you have to have it no matter what. So your options are to refinance mm. um, or keep paying it. The next one, if I get married after this, what do I need to do with the property? Well, if you're not going to have a prenup or free trade or anything that makes it separate property and you want it to be owned as tenants by the entirety, meaning as husband and wife and get that creditor protection and the survivorship element, uh, you will have to get a new deed prepared from you as the individual to you and your spouse as, as husband and wife or, you know, to you and your spouse. That's what you need to do. It is you do actually have to prepare and record and file a deed. Some people are like, well, that's too much. Well, it's two pieces of paper, one mm -hmm. signature, it uh, $26 to record plus whatever the preparation of the deed cost is. And the benefit you get of that is the automatic survivorship rights for the property. It becomes a non-probate asset. And once you pass away, it will automatically go to your spouse without having to be, um, you know, going through probate. And then you also get protection from individual creditors. So if you or your spouse gets um, a judgment against them, it's not going to attach to property owned as tenants by the entirety unless it's an IRS lien or um, it's a judgment against both of you. Mm. So there's a big benefit to doing the one signature, two pages, and minimal so cost. I'm hearing, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Nike, just Nike it. <laughs> yeah. Nike. Just, it, you, need to, you need to start using that as a phrase. And they're like, should I? Uh, Nike. Nike. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. 
Now, what if I ever want to rent this property? Somebody's buying it as their personal residence. Um, and they say, what about if in the future I want to rent? Do you have any thoughts on this? Have you, have you heard me answer this question before? You have to have lived in the property as a primary residence for X number of years. Don't know how many years. I want to say two of the last five years. You're thinking about taxes. Okay. Um, well, but you're on the right track. So whether you have to refinance is a lender question, but the root of this question is based on what is your intent at the time you purchase the property. If you're buying a property with the intention to use it as your primary residence and you are telling the truth, then you can get a loan for it as your primary residence. At least a year is what I've seen in most loan documents. I suppose it can depend on the lender. I don't know if they can make it longer, um, but you intend to move in within at least 60 days or within 60 days and live there for at least one year as your primary residence. So you can't be getting a loan for your primary residence with the intent to rent it out. That's loan fraud. Um, but if circumstances change in the future, you buy this property as your primary residence, you outgrow it, you get a different job, but you don't want to sell the house. Um, if you have not committed loan fraud, you've lived there as your primary residence, you did everything with the proper intentions, you didn't conceal anything. You know, if you've checked off all those boxes, you can rent it in the future, but you absolutely cannot go tell the lender this is going to be your primary residence when you intend to. Yeah. Um, and if you tell me that at the closing table, I can't close your loan. So that if I ask you, it, it has. And they weren't happy about it. They were it. not happy and about it. They were like, well, I don't do loan fraud. Sorry. Mm hmm. Yeah. In fact, I, they're they're still mad at me years later. Mm -hmm. um, but what can you do? Not close with me. Yeah. That's, that's what, the answer. What can you do? Well, I'm going to keep my law license. That's yeah. what I'm going to do. Yeah. So, what I mean. What can you do? Not fraud. Next question I get. Do I have to sign all of this? <laughs> yes. You get that question? Oh, yes. Like, yes. no, I was just, I'm going to give you all these papers and I just want you to pick and choose which ones yeah. to sign. Oh, you feel like you're done? Okay, we can Hands be done. Hands getting a little tired? Yeah, you're good then. Yeah. Um, They'll understand. And the answer is, if you want the loan, you do. Part of what we do as attorneys is, you know, like we have this relationship with the lender and that we have to make sure that their interest in title um, and their, their lien position is the you know, if they want to be in first lien position that they're getting that and then that the loan documents are executed so that they can issue the loan. And if you want the loan, then those are the terms that they've given you. Now we're looking at the documents to make sure that there's nothing in there that's like overly burdensome or not non-typical. Um, but a typical loan package, yes, you, you do have to sign it in order. The lender's not doing something illegal or discriminatory, and it's in accordance with the terms of your loan commitment when they said they would lend to you. You do have to sign it if you want to get the loan. Um, but the most important thing to me is that a buyer walks out feeling comfortable with what they signed. I, I do explain, like, you know, take the time that you need with this. Y'all poke your head out when you're done. <laughs> I'll be back. I'm not going to sit there and watch someone read. They can, if they have a list of questions for me, cool. I will come back and we'll go through it. But it is a waste of everyone's time for us to be sitting there watching someone read. But, you know, sometimes they do it because the, it's like a show of power of like, well, you know, I'm going to read all of this. I know how to read. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Sometimes it's anxiety. Mm. They are scared of what they are about to do and it gives them a sense of control. Um, it helps calm their nerves. Awesome do that. Like whatever makes you feel comfortable, make your list of questions. Let's talk about your questions. Um, ultimately 
the lender is not accepting any red lines to this. So I explain that and say, you know, let's talk about your concerns. I, I want you to understand it. That's probably more of my question. Yeah. Like, but not, the lender is not changing these documents. Right. And they're so not changing the legal terms this? of the documents. Now the lender is going to correct clerical issues and typos. You know, if they said, if they gave you a loan commitment to issue you a loan at 5% and it comes over at 11%, we're not signing that. Right. But the fact that you have to repay the loan in 30 years, I don't like that. I, I want it to be 50. Good luck. <laughs> they're, they're not doing that. Um, but you know, yes, we do have people do that. And it's, you know, it could be a display of power. Most often it's anxiety and then wanting to feel a little bit more in control of the process. I'm fine with that. I want you to feel comfortable when you're done. The next question is like, once you're done signing is what happens next? Well, after that, the title update has to happen to make sure no liens, judgments, bankruptcies, et cetera, been opened or filed. If all that's clear um, and we have all of the money that's Can needed. Can you remind realtors what the process is? You, you immediately are done signing. Mm -hmm. And when you walk out of the room, what are the things that, because it's where there's a lot that happens mm -hmm. in a short amount of time and agents sometimes will get mad at you again because you're not writing their check to them right now. Mm -hmm. Buyer or sellers are mad that they're not walking out with a check. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen because there's a couple things. Yeah, first the title update. That's um, It's to make sure clean title, but it's also required and under the contract. Well, it, de it depends on the county. Um, it can be done virtually, but some of the things have to be checked in person depending on what county it so is. They, like if an estate is opened. So they're someone physically going to the title department if necessary. Yeah. Okay. So we can, we could check that remotely. Most of the updates are done remotely, but we also have a, um, a courier who will go and check this in person, depending on the County and the, we take it on a closing by closing basis. Mm -hmm. We try to pick whatever is the most expedient, accurate route to get it recorded timely. So that title updates done. Um, all of the money has to be in our bank account. Every dollar has to be accounted for. So that's lender money and buyer's money. If we don't have that, we cannot record. Um, the seller has to, of course, sign all of their documents. All lien waivers have to be in hand. Um, if for some reason the seller had to bring money to closing to pay off judgments or whatever it may be, we have to have that as well. We have to have clearance from the lender to record. And then we have to actually record. Once we record, then disbursements can be made and keys can be given. We had this. I still have nightmares about this. About five months ago, six months ago now, we had one of the weirdest closing experiences I've ever had in my career, and it was a seller. Um, she was an attorney. I don't know if she's still licensed, but at one point she was a licensed attorney, threatened to call the cops because the money was not in her bank account instantaneously after recording. She said it was our legal obligation that the money be in her bank account the minute after recording. And I had to explain the statute to her and say that's not accurate. Um, disbursements can begin upon recording. So wire instructions have to be verified. Banks are not, wires are not instantaneous. And she's like, well, my husband, who it's true, was like a big executive at a big bank. And I'm like, well, he should know this, mm -hmm. you know. Um, 
you know, had it, it, the banks aren't instantaneous. They have to go through layers of approvals. This woman hadn't even verified her wire instructions. How could we send the wire if, you know, like they didn't come to closing. We had to verify the wire instructions. It was um, an investment account. So we had to even go another layer. So it was kind of like the strangest thing. She came showing up to the office, banging on the door. Our staff was terrified. She met me in the parking lot after she said, no, you need to go to Blue Harbor and get a, a check from them. It was the weirdest, weirdest scenario. So I beg of you agents, <laughs> please, please, please help your clients understand um, the process of what happens after the signing. Help me. It helped me help you help them. Yes. Uh, because, my goodness, I mean, it's so do bizarre. You, do you have, like, a general, like, if, it, if, if everything's all good, how long about is, is there, like, a general rule, mm -hmm. or is it just, like, a, a crapshoot? I can't give you a general rule. It's up to the county. And, I mean, like, if you are e-recording in Mecklenburg County on a Friday when everybody's closing – you get in line just because it's electronic. It's not instant. You get in line just like it was phys you're physically in line. And that's because there is a person on the other end of that reviewing the documents and approving them for recording, just like going in person. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that changes about it is the fact that you submitted it by email and not, or but through simple file and not in person. Uh, every other part of the process stays the same. So if the line is long, it takes however long it takes. So for that reason, I won't pledge a time. You'll say it'll be recorded the same day if you recorded in the right time and all the things happened right. Well, I mean, for same day disbursement, if we got if all of the stars align. Yeah. yeah. A couple hours if we've got everything. Um, but it could be super fast if the county's not busy. Yeah. What's the I mean, fastest you've seen? I mean, 20 minutes. Know? Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, that's if there's no, uh, if we've already got the lender's funds. Right, everything's and, perfect. Yeah. You know. If every star aligned, yeah, we could be recorded within minutes of being done with the signing. But again, that's no lines, no, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's perfect scenario. I just didn't know, like, in a perfect scenario, that's yeah. pretty quick. Yeah, um, it could be hours. You, right. You might sign at nine, and if we don't have all the money and all those things, like I think one of ours might be four. One of our closings, it took like four or five hours. Mm -hmm. And, and was, all of our all the money that was all the money was there, and yeah, it was just they were paying cash. Busy. Yeah, lots of houses were being sold, mm -hmm. and the county was slow. Yeah. Well, you know, in the like I said at the beginning of the episode, really the purpose of this is share it with your clients who might be, you know getting ready to come up for a closing so that they can know either what to ask if they don't know what to ask or kind of get ahead of some of these common questions so that they feel more empowered at the closing table, feel more comfortable and, you know, aren't scared out of their mind about well, all the stuff they have to sign. Our whole goal with this podcast especially is really to make agents be the stars. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to your clients and giving them, Hey, here's the most common questions in closings. Do any of these like, um, you know, spur your interest? I can explain on a low level. Mm -hmm. And if that answers your question, great. And mm -hmm. if you want a further explanation, make sure you ask the attorney, but you're going in with a, a smaller idea of what it is rather mm -hmm. than going in and like being surprised in the closing. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you as an agent are going to look like a hero, mm -hmm. which is always That's what our point. goal is. Yeah. Yeah. You're the trusted guide in this. We want you to be the the forefront of like 
We just sign the papers, man. We make sure it's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's all I have today. I appreciate you taking the time to not just sit here, but set all of this up so that we can do this every week. Um, but in that case, we'll just see you guys on the next episode of the North Carolina Real Estate Show. Yeah.